Football on Off the Ball. With Sky, proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team. This is News Talk. Now, hopefully we've got a really interesting piece for you. So we are going to, I think pretty much for the first time really on the football show, talk about cryptocurrencies and non-fungible tokens, also known as NFTs, because without question, on both fronts, we're seeing big inroads into the football world and to sport beyond, really. Uh, for instance, last year, David Burrell, and not for a huge amount, but he became the first football transfer where Bitcoin was used as payment. Increasingly, we're seeing crypto sponsorship. It's going to take over from gambling companies as the main logos that we see on football shirts. And then NFTs, non-fungible tokens, we will explain if this is all gobbledygook to you. Non-fungible tokens, uh, clubs are realizing there are millions to be made. So... Hopefully, to explain and to simplify all this, we have the great Dave McWilliams, uh, who you'll see in various outlets, not least his own brilliant podcast. Dave, great to have you on. Joe, lovely to be here. Lovely to be on. How's everything? Everything's great. Can I throw something at you, which uh, I just saw Charlie Weston writing about, actually, uh, in the Irish Independent. So, latest survey. Let's start with cryptocurrency, and then we'll navigate into NFT so we don't overwhelm people. Uh, Charlie Weston. A survey uh, conducted, uh, global survey, 456 people in the Republic of Ireland now own Bitcoin or else some other form of cryptocurrency. So we have half a million in the Republic now own some form of cryptocurrency, half of them under the age of 34, 10% over the age of 55. Now, at the other other side of things, uh, 35% of Irish adults don't know what cryptocurrencies are. So, uh, right. this, is, this is like the, uh, this is, like the is interesting. I don't know. I don't know what uh, a tracker mortgage is, uh, <laughs> which always should be very scary because that was uh, that ad was probably peak uh, Celtic Tiger housing boom. Was the guy on the bus? Uh, I don't know what the tracker mortgage is, but I have one. Right, that was the whole thing. Um, phenomenal statistics there from Charlie. He's always very good at dragging out those ones. He's a, you know, very good columnist. Always has been in, in the Indo for a long time. I think that the, the idea that nearly half a million people own our ROFA with crypto, probably largely Bitcoin, is where we should start. Because what you have is something that strikes me as a bit of a craze. What I noticed during the week was we did a podcast the other day on Bitcoin, and I was pretty skeptical about the nature of what it is. And what I kind of started with is, it is something, but I'm not quite sure exactly what it is. But what it definitely is not is money. And you know, when the RAF in the Second World War had an expression, which is you only take the flack when you're over the target. And what they were pr- trying to say there was basically, you know, it's when you're actually hitting something that you take lots of flack. Now, uh, in this case, lots and lots of people, and I think lots of really reasonable people and lots of people who are invested in Bitcoin came back and said, look, Dave, you don't really understand it. You, you, you know, you're not quite getting what's going on. And I'm really prepared to accept that, that at a certain level, and I think the demographic is important, under 35, there is a revolution going on in the way in which people are looking at finance, looking at money, looking at banking. My own children have Revolut. They've no idea what Bank of Ireland is, AIB. For them, it's just some building in Dunleary Main Street. It's not a place that they have any interest in going. So there is something definitely happening at the nexus of technology, finance, money. The question is, 
does it take over ultimately from real old-fashioned money? My own sense is no, and I'll explain that to you in a little while. But that doesn't mean that in the interim, in the transition from, let's say, my generation's view of money to my kids' generation's view of money, there isn't going to be various different iterations of what's called cryptocurrencies, right? So and cryptocurrencies are, in effect, simply money that isn't printed in central banks, okay? Money that is attached to and affixed to the blockchain, which is, in effect, a ledger. It's like a balance sheet, a digital balance sheet. So let's, let's look at what's going on. Bitcoin has caught the imagination of this generation. My own sense is also it's related to the housing market, that my generation, when we were in our 20s, late 20s, uh, saved in order to buy houses, to get yourself a gaff, to move in, to kind of become an adult, right? That was the, 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 the process, and it was all achievable. It was all achievable. If you're 27, 28 now, people listening to, to the show here, you've no hope in hell of actually saving enough for a deposit for a house. So you think, well, hold on, how am I going to have a stake in this country? How am I going to have a stake? How am I going to make my finances grow for me? This crypto thing seems to be something. So a lot of people who would otherwise be saving for houses, for example, in the Irish case, are actually saying, you know what, I'll just have a punt on crypto and see what's happening. Uh, with respect to Bitcoin, it's gone from about 60 euros, 60,000 euros per coin to about 40,000 euros in the space of about five weeks. So the, the thing is, it can, you can lose a lot of money on it as well. So my sense is that the first thing is, I, I wrote the last, last week that money, bizarrely, is a technology, not a commodity. And by, I mean by that is, it's more like language. So for money to be useful, it has to be widely understood, widely accepted. And, and the analogy would be that if you were to choose between, let's say, in terms of usefulness, using English or using Basque, learning English or learning Basque, you're much better off learning English because it's much more useful. Why is it more useful? Because more people speak it. So that's, that's the idea. Money is exactly the same. A money that nobody can buy and sell stuff with is not money. Therefore, it's a speculative asset. And that's where I think crypto is at the moment, where I think Bitcoin is at the moment. The other thing is you, the, the main currency that we all recognize is the dollar. The reason I think the dollar is preeminent is not because people on Wall Street use it, or not because if you look at the Financial Times, you'll get dollar prices. But it's because if you get into a taxi, Joe, in Turkey today, in Greece today, in any country outside of the main blocks, the taxi driver will be able to tell you what the dollar exchange rate is. So that's real power. That's real reach. So currencies need to be to become money. They need to be universally accepted. Crypto is not. Crypto is still not universally accepted. But on the other hand, as you say, half a million people have some exposure to it. So there is a familiarity with it. When it flips over into being able to buy a pint with crypto, then you'll know that it's money. And we're, we, I think we're a long way from that here, but we might not be. We may not be. Hmm. And is that where the likes of Bitcoin want to get to? Is that their nirvana? Well, you see, the interesting thing about Bitcoin is that there is no day. 
it is an algorithm. It's it's you know the the the, the fascinating selling point of Bitcoin for people, particularly those who don't trust governments and who find themselves feeling that we're being blackguarded across a whole load of areas, is that government money, as in the money we use, is centralized, is publicly uh, issued. Bitcoin is decentralized. So there's nobody orchestrating. That's the spin. The reality is that the ownership of Bitcoin has been hugely, hugely isolated in a small number of extremely, uh, of individuals who owned a hell of a lot of stuff. But as you can see, over time, that's that's actually becoming much less the case. The overall thing is for a currency to become, let's say, to, to grow into a useful currency, it's very hard for me to imagine that unless it's state sanctioned. Okay. So th- that's that's my sense. Yeah. And there's a and on the Bitcoin on the extreme end of Bitcoin, there's a lot of sort of what I would call anarcho libertarians who actually believe the state is over and this is going to be one of the battering rams to destroy the state. And you see, you hear that all the time. Right. But let's come back to the the basic idea, right? You have a speculative asset that isn't money but has caught people's imagination. You can definitely trade on the margins with it. But as you said, you know, football transfers now, people are using Bitcoin. Footballers are talking about Bitcoin. Art has been traded in Bitcoin. An NFT, uh, an NFT, the, the third most valuable piece of art for a living artist was sold this year as an NFT, $70 million, not as a painting. And it was basically a pixelated drawing. Okay. Yeah. So this is a very bizarre world we're going into. Yes. But just to come back to it, cryptocurrencies are called currencies, but they're not currencies in the way in which we understand them. Yes. They are not money in the way in which we understand them, but they are a speculative asset. And therefore, it ties into the notion of gambling because you'd say, you said at the top that football. Uh, sponsors are moving from gambling, online betting, to NFTs, to sort of crypt the crypto world. It doesn't surprise me because it's broadly in the same uh, neck of the woods. And uh, my own sense is that a lot of people will lose a lot of money on these because ultimately all these cryptocurrencies are not backed by anything. Now, people will say, well, you know, the dollar is only backed by a promise. Uh, on the part of the United States. But a promise on the part of the United States is also backed by the revenues of the United States government, by the tax of the United States, by the credibility of the United States. So that's a lot. And it takes a lot to get there. You know, the first the first paper dollars were in the late 1800s. It took them winning the Second World War for the dollar to become recognized as a global currency. And the credibility of that was the power of the United States behind it. So it takes a lot to become a global currency. So my sense is that the cryptos will remain on the margin for quite some time. But that doesn't mean that they're not real. They are real. Yeah. Feel free, by the way, if this is a one-word answer, that's fine. And then we can move it to football. So is, is your sense that the majority, say, of the half a million in this country who've bought crypto, are they doing it hoping this travels quadruples in value. This, this is a punt to double, yeah, triple their money. That's, that's, the, that's what it comes down to for them. That's, 
that's 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 what I'm thinking. That's what okay. I'm thinking. I mean, few of them have wasted energy thinking about like you know this sort of monetary policy and his money and all that. Yeah. But I think a lot of people think you know it's it went up a bit. I'll, I'll have a punt, put a few quid in it, and away we go. That's yeah, my okay. sense. Yeah. Well, that'll be mine too, without knowing very much about it. Because I see even in, in terms of the sponsorship, it's coming even to, you know, the Premier League, whereby uh, Watford are now sponsored by Elon Musk's version of crypto. That's what's on the side of their jersey. Yeah, so it's I, definitely coming that way. That. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, I mean, the, the thing is that, you know, football and gambling have always gone together. I mean, the great, the great, uh, the great passages in all old school football biographies are the relentless focus on the bookies and the gambling. Mm. I mean, this is this is part of this is part of the. Uh, I remember going to see Leeds against Arsenal many many years ago with a mate of mine who's in the business, and Tony Adams. We were in a box in Highbury, in old Highbury, and Big Tony was uh, injured, so he was still playing, but he was injured and he was out for let's say six or seven weeks. So he was being paraded around the boxes, given his you know tuppence halfpenny, uh, drinking heavily at the time was our Tony, but. The banter was just all about gambling. And I was really amazed by that because you've got young fellas with lots of money, lots of time on their hands who are in sport and sport and gambling go together. Mm. To move this on to NFTs, this is where things are starting to get very interesting on the sporting front. So non-fungible tokens. I'm, by the way, taking a punt. It's fungible and not fungible. So that's, fungible, how much, yeah, yeah, fungible. That's, that's how much I know. So if, if crypto and Bitcoin has kind of been on the go with this iteration of it anyway since 2009, Non-fungible tokens first on the scene around 2015. Uh, these are like what you mentioned, that painting for 70 million. These are digital assets, pieces of content. So it can be a painting. Yeah. It can be a picture. The NBA are all over this with their sporting cards. Uh, for instance, there's a 10 second video and I had a look at it. It's not that good, but it costs $6 million and it's very much encrypted and it's authentic and it's it's worth that. I don't know why, but it seems to be worth that. There's a digital picture of a rose, which again, I didn't think was very good, which sold for 20K. Can you, because yeah. uh, we'll get into the football here. Can you explain to me why the non-fungible tokens seem to be of values which make no sense in relation to the rest of the world? Why a 10 second video goes for 6 million and somebody is just desperate to buy a lovely house in Dublin for half a million? That doesn't make sense. Well. You'll be very disappointed. It doesn't make very much sense to me either, except for the fact and is that in all speculative manias in history, bizarre pieces of, let's say, furniture are introduced towards the tail end of a boom, right? And sometimes they make no sense at all. My own sense of the NFTs, by the way, there's a dog walking here who might be barking. She wants to go out. So if I have to get up and leave the house in a second, she's an old lab who's got very disobedient or old age, right? So uh, I give the story of NFT. So Ethereum is another cryptocurrency. Yeah. And what has happened to all these cryptocurrencies is the, their genesis is they were created as currencies without anything to buy with, right? So what you have is that you have a huge pent-up demand for anything that you can buy with these currencies, right? NFTs were introduced in about 2018 in, in, in any material sense by people who owned Ethereum in order to make Ethereum worth okay. something. Okay. So what you can see is it's a quite internally sealed system, right? So the reason that NFTs are going through the roof is not their value, 
but it's because they are the only place that you can actually spend. Well, can I interrupt you on that point? Because so here's where it's getting very interesting from a Premier League point of view. A huge number of the clubs now are introducing these fan tokens. And so if you buy the token, you can have a vote in pretty minor decisions. It could be what the pre-match music is. It could be maybe what jersey we wear, this kind of stuff, all the periphery stuff around the team. And you can feel very involved, you know? So they're releasing several million tokens at a time, a few pounds each. Club get half the money. And so, for instance, uh, Socios is one of the companies. They get the other half of the money. And they'll they'll do things like give you a chance to win prizes and jerseys. And what's very interesting, that point you were making about crypto and NFTs. So, for instance, if you want to... uh, by these tokens, you can only do it through cryptos, or uh, effectively, yeah. yeah. So uh, asked why, I just have a quote here from a piece I read, asked why crypto had to be involved to buy fan tokens rather than regular currency. The founder of Socios, this particular company said, it empowers us to build an ecosystem and will continue to be the driving force of socios.com. I translate that as blah, 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 PR, blah, 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 meaningless, uh, I, yeah. you know, yeah, nonsense. Yeah. There is, there is, there is. There is a wankology, I think, is the. There expression. is a degree of that. What, 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 what there's a huge degree of this. Look, what is it, happening? And just one, one, one. So my, my question to you and all that is like, there's a real leveraging of fan loyalty here. One, you've got to buy the crypto to then buy the fan tokens. Is anyone regulating this? Are the clothes like, what's, is, is this real eye, well, eyebrow raising is, stuff? I think it should be. So what we know about fans, and, and I am one, we are a pathetic species when it comes to making rational decisions about anything, because once you become a fan, your rationality, it demands that your rationality leaves your body, okay? It demands that your critical faculties leave your body. Every time you lose, we were robbed. Every time you win, we should have won by more. The usual stuff, right? Okay, we all know that fandom is a bizarre never never world of fantasy okay so where that becomes incredibly attractive for somebody selling something is that your critical faculties disappear so then let's say if you have lots of ethereum and you have bought that ethereum uh, for a song three or four years ago and you sit on this for a while, and then you say, let's create a market so we can spend this. Now, we're not saying we can spend this. We can get out. We can reconvert our Ethereum back into euros and thereby make a real profit. So what do we do is you always try and look for the greater fool, right? The greatest fool is the fan, okay, okay? as a general rule. So then you think, okay, what markets can we get into? It doesn't surprise me that NFTs are taking off in the era, in the area of fandom. That's where you get the most gullible, most pathetically loyal, and most fantastically naive consumer called the fan, right? So it doesn't surprise me at all that this is an outlet. Now what's basically happening is the clubs are coming up with these tokens, the exchanges, okay, you heard the little bit of marketing blurb there, right? Okay, are trading. So they're trading dollars or euros to Ethereum or whatever it happens to be. Then you buy the, 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 the little token, 
And then the euros, not the Ethereum, goes back to the clubs. So I would think that this is, you know, in writing the great novel about speculation in the early 21st century, I think this has to be part of uh, this has to be part of the opening chapter of when things go really quite mad. Yeah. Now, if you were to introduce NFTs in other markets, you know, the market for jumpers, for example, or T-shirts, right, where there is very little fan loyalty, bizarrely, right, then I think we'd be into some sort of link between the real economy and the cryptos. But what you're doing is you're actually introducing it into already hyped up markets. And I think that's quite worrying. Yeah. And you use the word mania there and like fandom is mania. And I'm not sure. And like these clubs are ruthless at the best of times. So West Ham uh, linked up with the Yield in September. And what they told their diehard fans was the Yield app enables its users to invest in digital assets and earn as much as 20 and a half percent annual interest at the touch of a button. They said nothing about any potential losses, and it was a thumbs up from West Ham. Some of this is really skirting around the edges, isn't it? Well, I think so. And again, I I haven't been to the new stadium, but I've been to Upton Park many times. And, you know, when you're deep in Upton Park and you're watching your average lad from Dagenham supporting the Irons because his dad supported them, his granddad supported them, what you're dealing with, you have the most naive bunch of consumers. And these are people that if you put, you know, the the purple and claret on something, suddenly these people's critical faculties disappear. Mm. Whereas if you get the same people and you put them in a secondhand car showroom, they'll have to negotiate and they will happily see through the sales pitch and they'll happily walk out the door. The fan at the end of the day can't walk out the door. And that means he's a captured, he's a captured market. So I, I think it's in the same way as, you know, all sports attract fans, attract gambling. It's almost like the perfect storm now. Yeah. You, you know, on NFTs, so we, we mentioned some of the examples. Another one, footballers are starting to get on, in on the act and their advisors, I presume, are pushing that way. So you remember James Rodriguez, who lit up a World Cup back in 2014. He was at yes. Everton recently. Yeah. So he... A Colombian guy, was he? Yeah. He launched yeah. his own cryptocurrency, um, JR10 token. And he raised, I think, in the first 12 seconds, it was all sold out. He raised half a million and then it went up to another 5 million. There's now no trace of that product. So the company behind it went bust and the domain that hosted their trading platform is up for sale. So in effect, it has disappeared. And Ronaldinho, the great Brazilian, he released a crypto coin that's now worthless. So, you know, there, there's obviously some dodgy actors here on this scene, as we can all imagine. Do you anticipate NFTs in particular, whatever about crypto? Will NFTs, relatively new on the scene, less than 10 years, like, will the arse fall out of these? Will, will people who've paid 5 million for a video be very, very foolish in five or 10 years? Well, I can, I can tell you, the only prediction I would make is that NFTs will be the scene of some of the most outrageous cases of fraud that the financial markets have ever seen. And the financial markets have seen many. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's where I think this land. I'll tell you something very interesting me. Uh, I, I, was, I was interested this week when I was talking about Bitcoin. Say, look, I don't get it really. I'm not sure about it, you know. Uh, and it may well 
go to zero or it may well go to, to 100,000, who knows? But what the, the reception, particularly on Twitter, was many, many people saying, you don't know the intricacies of this. You don't right. understand what's going on. And I thought, fair enough. But it did remind me of back in 04, 05, when I was saying the housing market was a complete scam. The reaction on the part of people was, you don't understand Ireland. You don't understand the demography. You don't understand the banking system. There's something exceptional here going on that isn't really the same as went on in other countries. And consequently, houses will keep going skyward. Yes, yes. So, and, 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 and David, how did that work out? Very badly, exactly. So, <laughs> so I think what happens is, is that the minute you're invested in something, you become, you morph from being an investor into a champion. Yes. Okay? Yes. And the best way to expand a bubble in anything is to get more and more people involved. So you have more and more people every day boosting, this is boosterism as they call it, yes. boosting their asset. Because basically what they've got to do is they've got to make sense to themselves first and then to others as to why they bought this in the first place. Yes. So you've got a, a collective mania. And, and, and again, it's like any of these speculative episodes, which are fascinating from a psychological point of view, as much as or even more than an economic or financial point of view, what happens is it becomes almost like a group trip that everybody is buzzing at the same time and nobody's allowed to wreck the buzz. Nobody's allowed to come in and say, look, sorry, this is, this is you know, you're going to have to pay for this in the morning, etc." So that's my sense of what's going on. Okay. And it doesn't surprise me the epicenter of everything is the sporting world. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting because like the Premier League itself, you know, not around the fringes here, the Premier League, they're going to launch an NFT collection next season. So I, I would presume next season, if you wanted to buy it, there will be a unique picture of Roy Keane and it will go for X. And yeah. the Premier League are, are going down that route. And uh, I mean, that, may, that gives the, it a real legitimacy, you know? Well, if you look at the Premier League business model as a general idea, you know, the Premier League business model is unbelievable leverage to buy the rights for the TV companies, right? And then it is a shakedown of everyone. Sure. But at the bottom of the pyramid are the fans. And most fans like you and I are kind of cool with that because we want to watch it. That's the interesting thing. It's not, I don't think fans, that's the, that's the fascinating thing about the capacity of the fan to pay out for what they love. And this is where it's, uh, if you are cynical or hyper-commercial, there can be no better area. But then on the other hand, you know, football teams don't make money, but football leagues make money. Yes. And that's an interesting thing. Yeah. So the football league is almost like the platform for the football teams. But because the football teams have to continue to buy the best players, spend most money, I think you've had Simon Cooper, a mate of both of ours, on on a number of occasions. And his Soccernomics book kind of nailed it. They basically said, you know, the club that pays most on players wins. Yeah. And football and fandom, rugby, whatever, is about winning. It's not about balance sheets. And that's why sometimes those American owners of premiership clubs look really out of their depth because they're trying to superimpose upon a dream a balance sheet. Mm. 
that nobody really cares about apart from them. Yeah. Which is why when football clubs go bust, they start up again. Yeah. Uh, last question. I guarantee you, I mean, we don't, um, we're not in communication beyond the odd time you're on the show. I guarantee you this is the most asked question you get probably as you're trying to go about your business and buy a loaf of bread. When's the next crash? When's the next crash? <laughs> so uh, you mentioned there we're potentially at the end of a cycle. And I know on your podcast, I heard you talking about mergers and acquisitions recently, and we're, we're potentially at the end of some kind of a cycle. And there's so many yeah. things going on in the world. What about this world of crypto and NFTs? You said, you know, there's going to be some extraordinary things happening and then potentially it could all go very, very wrong. Would you have a timeline in your head as to when that would all go wrong? And like, is that a similar timeline to when the economic world as we know it goes wrong? Like, are these two in tandem or entirely separate or is it impossible to answer these kind of questions? Well, well I think, no, it's not impossible. I think that, uh, my own sense is that Bitcoin in particular, I think there's some of the cryptos that seem to be, uh, have a much more, obvious financial use okay but bitcoin in particular plus the nft world you can take two words either it's the end of something or it's the beginning of something now enthusiasts tend to say it's the beginning of something new the technology is fusing and blah 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 and we're in a brave new world and before you know it there'll be no euros and there'll be cryptos rather than sterling euros and dollars right? that's one view the other more traditional view is the one i would take is that there's nothing new in the world. We've seen this all before. And what is bizarre is the amazing human inability to learn anything from past mistakes. This is one of our great, which I think which makes us such a fascinating animal, is we don't learn anything, right? You know, it's like, you know, people go and, you know, it's true, like people go on, take it, on the complete skite, on the lash, they get a brutal hangover. Sunday, I'm never drinking again. No way, no way, no way. And our memories are really short. And by next Friday night, you're out again, right? And our memories are short because we have this default position, which is it won't happen to me. Right. We're kind of hardwired for optimism, the human race, which is why most of us get out of bed. Because for something in the back of our head says, you know what, today is going to be better than tomorrow. And we go on, right? So in terms of the crash or a crash, it's clearer to me that Irish property is much more likely to, because it's a sealed idea, right? It's just this country and the asset is land. And as land prices go out of whack with income, over time, they have to come back. But the crypto world could go on for quite some time because there are so many players and there are so many outlets and there's so many new angles. But if interest rates were to rise rapidly, it's all over for this game. So basically what they've got up, the crypto people who are actually betting against the Fed in their heads actually hope that the Fed bails them out in reality. If interest rates rise four or five times or three or 4% over the next few years, this thing is all going to zero. Listen, so interesting. Dave McWilliams, real pleasure. Thanks a million. Not at all. Cheers, Joe. Take care. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland Women's National Football Team This is News Talk